the House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capital Ideas. It's the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about, you guessed it, ideas. Today we're going to be joined by Representative April Berg. April works for the good people of the 44th Legislative District in Snohomish County, and this is her third year as a lawmaker. April's path has been an interesting one from a childhood in the south side of Chicago to becoming the first black student body president at Oregon State University to working as a program manager at Boeing and owning and operating a bed and breakfast in Edmonds. She served on the Oregon State Board of Higher Education, school boards in Edmonds and Everett, and the Mill Creek Planning Commission. In Olympia, April chairs the House Finance Committee. That's one of the four fiscal committees in the House, along with appropriations, transportation, and capital budget. And the easiest way to explain what the Finance Committee does is to give you a verbatim reading of how the official legislative website sums it up. So that's what I'll do. The House Finance Committee considers issues relating to state and local revenues, such as increases or decreases in taxes, exemptions from taxes, and changes in the administration of taxes. This is April's second appearance on Capital Ideas. We did a Zoom conversation back in the summer of 2021 when the Capitol was still locked up like Fort Knox, so this was our first chance to sit down face-to-face and talk the way humans are designed to do. That 2021 episode was good, but this one, this was even better. I hope you'll stick around for the next 20 minutes. If you do, I think you'll agree that the House Democratic Caucus and the people of her district and the Evergreen State scored big when April became a lawmaker. We recorded this on Wednesday, April 5th, 2023, and here goes. We're here today with Representative April Berg of the 44th Legislative District. She lives in Mill Creek. She chairs the House Finance Committee. This is her second time on Capital Ideas. If you want to go back to August of 2021, you can listen to that first one, but you don't need to. This is not the sequel. This is a standalone event. Welcome, April. I'm really glad you're here today. It's great to be back, Dan. Great to see you in person. Last time it was virtual. I I know. Last time we talked about how you knew how to pass a bill, but couldn't tell me where the bathrooms were in the Capitol. I still get a little bit lost, but I can can now pass a bill and take myself to the restroom. Well, that's good. This this being the first genuinely in-person session since you were elected. I want to start by asking something that is key to this being your third year, which is you are the chair of the House Finance Committee. This is your first year in that position. It's highly unusual for a lawmaker in her third year to be chairing any committee, much less one of what I consider to be one of the more significant committees. Not that there are any insignificant committees. I was just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think of finance, transportation, capital budget, and obviously appropriations as being the big four. How did this happen? 
It's a great question. I, I tell you, I came here um, not expecting to be a chair in my second term. And truly, coming in during a global pandemic, a public health crisis like none we've ever seen, you know, my expectations for my second term were simply to get back and continue doing the good work. As you and many of the folks listening know, we had some movement in terms of my colleagues in both the House and the Senate. And movement, uh, just like any good movements, they present opportunities. And so being the vice chair of House Finance during my first biennium uh, allowed me to really be in the right position, the right headspace, having the right understanding to come into the role of chair when it became available. Again, it wasn't something planned by anyone. Um, It was just simply an opportunity. I will say I was excited when I was asked to become chair of finance. I was was really excited because I have a passion for structural tax reform. Um, I have a passion for kind of right-siding our upside-down tax code. It's very cliche. I kind of roll, I'm rolling my eyes as I say those words, but but it's true. We really are the most regressive tax uh, system, policy system in the nation. And so that's been a passion of mine from day one. And it's great that I can serve as chair. Looking at your background, it's, it's quite varied, but there is a heavy concentration on education-related issues. Everything from you know, PTA to the fact that at least two thirds of your kids have graduated from college at this point, And the other two, I think, are probably (laughs) on their way. You're not a member of the education committee here in the house. Tell me about how that path was formed. You do have heavy concentration and education issues in your background, and yet you veered into the committee that raises revenue for the state. Absolutely. And uh, that's another Great question. I can't believe it's been two years since I've been on your show because uh, these are the best conversations I, I've had as a legislator. So, no, I, um, I'll tell you, the, you kind of laid out the path. So I've, I've got six kids. Two have graduated from UW, two have graduated from Western, one is a freshman at UW, so there's been a little change there, and then one is completing her junior year at our local high school. I say that because that's what got me into education. Where my kids go, I go. And so uh, education policy, serving on everything from the local PTA all the way up to two school boards really got me knee-deep in ed policy. I will say... um, Education being our paramount duty, there is a, a very real blinking light at the intersection of education policy and taxation. And so when you look at that intersection of ed policy and taxes, money, it's the majority uh, of the money that we do raise in revenue goes to education. And when you start looking at the inner relationship of our tax policy, who we tax and why, fairness and capacity. It all goes back to families. It all goes back to kiddos. And it all goes back, frankly, to our education system. Um, And so there was just a through line that could not be ignored. Now, I will say my first year in the legislature, I had the pleasure of serving on the education committee. It's, it's, you know, not to play favorites, but it's absolutely one of the best committees in the House. And this year, because of my chair, my role as chair on finance, it kind of, you know, there was a little bit of auto sorting, if you will, on my committee assignments. And so uh, I am serving on appropriations as being the chair of House Finance. And then a lot of our bills, and this is where, you know, the folks at home who kind of nerd out on what happens to a bill and when, a lot of our bills in finance are second referrals. And a lot of those first referrals go to local government. So it made a lot of good sense um, to put me on local government so that I could be there for the policy conversations around some pretty big house housing bills and zoning bills that will eventually make their way to finance. So that's kind of how that went. And you have been in local government. You were a member of the planning commission for the city of Mill Creek. So that makes perfect sense. 
Yes, I love being a part of a body that makes uh, policy. And so, hence me being in the House of Representatives, um, I always say legislating, policymaking is always a team sport. So, yeah, I was a part of a great team in Mill Creek that uh, did planning. I want to ask you about some of the bills that you're sponsoring, because in addition to being the chair of the Finance Committee, you're also one of the two elected representatives from the 44th District, along with one senator. Yep. Uh, So you sponsor bills, you answer to your constituents. You're the sponsor of one bill that just about 30 minutes ago (laughs) was approved over across the rotunda in the Senate after having been approved over here in the House. And that is what I call the puppy mill bill. Mm -hmm. It's a bill that personally I applaud you for, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I tell you, um, there are certain bills, I think as legislators, we we run and we do. And I, I hate to say it, but we call them no-brainers, right? You get here, you get in this role, and someone tells you that something just egregious is happening in a community, and you say, well, that can't be legal. Um, or, well, if it is legal, let's fix it. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Well, that's what this puppy bill should have been. Um, And when I came here in 2021, my first session, there was a bill that I signed on to as a a co-sponsor, and I was pretty far down that co-sponsor list. It was a great bill. Uh, Representative Wallen had it. And it was around uh, basically closing a loophole that we had around puppy mills. So our our state does not allow puppy mills, which is wonderful. But there was a loophole that allowed folks who had pet stores to receive puppies from puppy mills in other states and then sell them in stores in our state. And to boot, use predatory lending as a financing vehicle. And so we are talking about upwards of 199% interest. It just, it was beyond a head scratcher. It was a no brainer. (laughs) To buy a dog. Buy a dog. Um, So when Rep. Uh, Representative Wallen had this bill. I signed on to it as a co-sponsor. I thought, wow, this is going to be a great one when it passes and, and life will go on. Well, it ran into some pretty big hurdles. Anytime you uh, deal with a industry, and this unfortunately is what it is, we, me and you talk about heartbeats and animals and, you know, what it means to, to really be a, a dog lover and, a, and, and having your furry friends with you while other people look at them with dollar signs. And when that happens, then lots of folks get involved in the lawmaking process and, uh, and sides tend to be drawn. So, so unfortunately with that bill, uh, it was gutted to the extent um, that it, it did some really good things, but, and we passed it, but it didn't do enough. And it still allowed for dogs to come in and, and really it allowed for um, it kind of kicked the can to the locality to uh, get this outlawed in your area. And some jurisdictions did. So I think the city of Renton did and some other cities did. But many were like, look, state, you, you got to do something here. We can't we can't keep fighting, you know, this fight because we are small localities. So um, so this year I sponsored a bill that that did it all, took care of the uh, predatory lending, closed the loophole. And frankly, we only have, I think, two stores in our state that still that still do this. We didn't wanted to make sure we weren't going to have others. But um, but in, and the bill that Rep. Wallen had in 2021 did that. So it did close the door and opening any new stores. But we still had existing stores and we still had consumers being harmed as well as dogs being harmed. So that said, uh, my good little bill was to close those loopholes, get rid of the predatory lending, and everybody goes home happy. Uh, in the interim, uh, we ha- I know you you know how that you know how this story potentially could have ended. But I will say we got some air cover in the interim. Uh, that little season between you know us legislating from one biennium to another, and the air cover came from King Five. It came from the Washington Post, who all you know scratched their proverbial heads and said exactly what I said. Why are you 
still doing this state of Washington? Why is this happening? So armed with that kind of backup, I, uh, you know, sponsored this bill. It did run into lots of, of turns and twists. But um, but today, as you just stated about 30 minutes ago, it came off the Senate floor it does exactly what we needed to do. It closes the loopholes and, and frankly, sets standards where the state is now the floor. Localities can go beyond us. They can they can do bans. They can make sure they protect pets. Even if we've forgotten something, they can make it better. But we really feel like we've closed these loopholes. Dogs will not be shipped across the country, uh, sold in a store to un, um, unknowing consumers, uh, and then you know, being charged 199% interest on top of it. So all of that, once this is signed and goes into effect, should go away. Congratulations. Thank you. Sorry, that was a long answer for a short question, but it is a passion. When we talked two years ago, one of the things that we discussed was your interest in the anti-displacement issue. Uh, so this would be the uh, property tax reform. Yeah, and I was a co-sponsor in 2021. I sponsored it this year. It was a finance bill. And it would have given property owners tax relief on the first $250,000 of their assessed value. They wouldn't have had to pay the state 6.5% property tax. That said, uh, you know, I tell you that pesky chair of finance did not move my bill. She didn't. <laughs> what was she thinking? It was a really good build. Um, but I tell you, it's it's a part of an iterative process. And uh, part of that process is having discussions around good legislation that we should absolutely consider when the time is right. So the time wasn't right for that, mo- that bill to move forward. And I'm still very much interested in giving property owners tax relief. I'm very much interested in right-siding our upside-down tax code. For the last several years, there's been a tax reform work group. I'm not sure what the the formal name of this of this outfit is, but it has been a bicameral work group to study reforming Washington's very odd tax structure. Yes. Is that work group still a thing? And if so, how is the work going? Um, it is still going. It's the tax structure work group. It is uh, it's about five years old now. It is bipartisan, bicameral, and the goal of the work group was to really look at the structure, and as you said, our very unique uh, and not unique in a good way, tax structure, and to see how we can make it less regressive. One of the guiding posts, one of the the North Stars, if you will, was that they wanted to find something that was revenue neutral. Now, these things, uh, they don't sound conflicting on their face, but to do something bicameral, bipartisan, that's revenue neutral to fix our tax structure, to say the least, it was a very, very tall order. They are still going. Um, they did come up with their recommendations. So five years out, they did a lot of uh, talks and, and uh, listening sessions across our state. They came up with two recommendations that, that met their goals. And one was the margins tax, going from a B&O to a margins tax. And the other was recommending that we uh, that we lift the levy lid for localities on property tax, the property tax levy lid lift. Uh, that would, in effect, allow localities to go from 1% to 3% in property taxes. So we heard bills on with both of those in mind. We had prime sponsors who took those uh, recommendations and sponsor bills, rightfully so, because I believe that the work they did was important. It was thorough, and their recommendations absolutely needed to be heard by the the respective committees. So that said, uh, neither of them are going to make it across the finish line, it looks like. Uh, At this point, you never know around here. Things just get resurrected randomly. But at this point, I don't see a a path. But the work is not done. So the, the group has not disbanded. 
there, I believe, will be future conversations. Um, I was appointed to the group. I haven't been to my first meeting yet because we've been doing uh, the, the state's business here. But I look forward to participating in future conversations about our tax structure. I think that Frankly, we're going to always have to have a work group like this because I think there's always going to be conversations around taxation and how do we make it more fair and how do we focus more on folks' capacity to pay. I want to jump now to a different subject, which is the fact that in addition to being a lawmaker from the 44th District and the chair of the Finance Committee, you also are a member of two other very important groups here in the House, one of which is the Members of Color Caucus and the other is the Black Members Caucus. Both of those groups have priorities. I'm wondering how you feel about the priorities. Those groups are larger than they've ever been, more influential, I suspect, than they've ever been. And I, I'm wondering, has the voice been heard this year? Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's one of the downsides of podcasts. Folks can't uh, can't instinctively look and say, "Oh, she's a member of the Black Members Caucus and also a member of the Members of Color Caucus." It's, and we changed our name to the Legislative Black Caucus (LBC). I'm really excited to be a member of both caucuses. As you pointed out, I am a, a legislator from the 44th, and so uh, you know, being a black woman with dreadlocks and a nose ring um, is not normally what you see coming out of Snohomish County in terms of representation. But I am so proud to be representing my community. Um, the caucuses you named are very large right now. Our Members of Color Caucus is incredibly large and diverse. Our Legislative Black Caucus, I think we're at 11 members now, which is the largest we've ever been. And and just to point out, the Legislative Black Caucus is bicameral. So we have two senators as well as uh, nine House members. And I will just level set you and everyone else that we're not a monolith. And so our power doesn't uh, necessarily come from the fact that we all think and feel the same, but it does come from some similarities that bring us together during moments of, of, uh, sadness and moments of pain as well. So I will say that our priorities, we we state them publicly as both uh, the Members of Color Caucus and the, the Legislative Black Caucus, And but we've been heard. It's, it's been a good session for a lot of our members, a lot of their priorities. And and remember, you know, we're representing communities. So when, when I say it's been a good session for our members, uh, it's been a good session for our communities. And so that's the key, that's the takeaway, is that we are representing communities. Um, and, and some of these communities have never had representation. Um, some have. Some have not been represented in ways where they were felt seen and heard. And so that's another real key element to us being here in such large numbers this year. So it's, it's been wonderful. I think the takeaway is that you wear a whole lot of hats down here and you seem to be balancing those well to mix so. my metaphor completely. You forgot two caucuses that I'm in also. I can't believe that you, that, and, and let's just be real, cockeye. Like that's not, let's let's get our okay. grammar going. All right. um, so the two that you forgot, I am chairing the Food Fighters Caucus. And so we focus on food security issues across the board, everything from ag and farming to our wonderful uh, Representative Richelli's bill to feed more kids during the school day. Um, I think of, I think of, Representative Marcus Riccelli yep. when I think yep. of the food fighters. Absolutely. He's amazing. So I, I'm happy to kind of keep that work going and um, and making sure it's a caucus priority. The other caucus that I'm a member of uh, that just started this year, you're going to have to ask Representative Wallen about it. We have a fur fighters caucus that focuses on animal issues. And so uh, you've seen some good bills come from fur fighters, including the puppy bill. I think we had a right. octopus farming uh, bill come from Rep. Peterson. Um, so, so anytime you see animals and good stuff from 
for animals, uh, then you're going to see see stuff from the fur fighters. So it's uh, and then the, I have one priority that does cover both food and fur, and that's my uh, plant based meals grant program through OSPI, which was renewed in the House budget. So schools can apply for up to ten thousand dollars to start uh, a plant based meals program. So it's it's been really fun. At this moment, April, you're eleven minutes late. <laughs> For caucus. Uh, I don't believe that there's going to be a problem with that, but I do need to let you go. Before I do, I want to ask you, this is based on our conversation from two years ago. What's your moonshot right now? Oh my word. I am smiling so, so much right now because uh, you remembered that. And that is kind of a signature thing for me. So I just got to tell you, a moonshot is something that seems completely impossible, but becomes completely necessary. And when I first came up with that kind of phraseology, I thought it was going to be a fleeting thing. I thought, you know, this, we're in a global pandemic. I'm at home with a lot of kids. I'm legislating from home. Let's talk about moonshots. Let's talk about, you know, when things get, get super, you know, just, oh, they'll never happen. And then they, they absolutely do. And you have to react to them. I will say three years into this job, this will be my third year, that moonshots are, are an everyday thing because being in community, talking to people about real issues, issues that affect every part of their life, right? So they're everything from healthcare to education to how much they're getting paid, how and when and by who, frankly. And then of course, taxation, everything is a moonshot. Everything seems absolutely impossible when we walk through the doors of the people's house. And when you get here, you go, everything is completely necessary. So this year for me, really talking with community, it went back to inflation. It went back to taxation and it went back to fairness. And I will tell you again, we're at an intersection, Dan, and the light is blinking. And that intersection touches everything. So when you think about taxation, when you think about inflation and the core, the fairness, who pays what and when, then you're talking about education, housing, behavioral health, community safety. You're talking about all of those things. Um, Taxes pay for stuff. They just do. People hate to hear that. They don't want to pay taxes. Taxes are horrible. You're taking my money. Oh, my gosh, this is, this is going to be horrible. Um, but they pay for stuff, and they pay for our firefighters and our police officers, our home health care workers. They pay for our teachers. They pay for our roads. And the question becomes, how much are you paying, and who's paying, and is it fair? Is it really fair? And that's where we can dig in. And so that's my moonshot, is to make things more fair when folks are paying their taxes. That's why I sponsored the, uh, the anti-displacement bill, the property tax bill. That's why I work so hard on new revenue opportunities that creates a more fair tax code for everyone living in our state. I believe money's green. I don't ever believe that, you know, well, it's not that much money to them or, oh, they can afford to do that. There's no they's in this conversation. It's all us and we, and frankly, me. I'm a mom. I'm a recovering school board director. I am a member of the community, and I know that any dime I spend as a legislator, any revenue opportunity, is someone else's money. And so my moonshot is for us to do things more fair for more people. I don't think there's anything I can add at this point. That's a a perfect ending for this podcast. Thank you. Uh, I will let you go, but I really do appreciate it. Representative April Berg from District 44 up in Snohomish County. 
Thank you for coming by, and thank you for giving us a little bit of extra time today. I know we had to reschedule this conversation once, and I'm very happy that we were able to get it done with two weeks left in the session. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and I do expect you'll be writing me a hall pass to caucus, but it's been great to talk, Dan. <laughs> I will. You'll have a doctor's excuse. Thank you. <laughs> thank have a you. good one. It seems like I say this at the close of most every episode of Capital Ideas, but I'll say it again. I told you this was a good one, and I told the truth. That's what we shoot for with every one of these, to give you a close look at your state government and to introduce you to the people you've sent to Olympia to work for you, your family, your community, and our state. If you haven't subscribed to Capital Ideas, it's pretty easy. Just type us into the search box on your favorite podcast aggregator, or visit the House Democratic Caucus website at housedemocrats.wa.gov and click on the media button at the top of the page. A couple of times a week, you'll hear from lawmakers like Representative April Berg, and I think you'll be glad you did. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for your time. <music>